hosted the Building Abundant Success Series. Our spotlight is on family roots. My guest is retired senior administrative law judge, Rahula Nane Quander. The Quander family has been in the news, Washington Post, New York Times, NPR, uh, PBS, you name it. And we are talking about his great new book, The Quanders. Since 1684, An Enduring African-American Legacy. You can actually find some of the family's archive in the Spengarn Center over at Howard University. He's a double Howard University grad. This book is just awesome. Go to QuanderQuality, QuanderQuality.com. You can get it on Amazon and many other places. But uh, this family root segment is just a reminder not only because of Black History Month, but many people were not slaves in America. Many people were freed. And he's going to tell us about this in this awesome segment. Rahulamina and I are coming at you right now. <laughs> Delighted to be part of this conversation and to have the opportunity to uh, participate and tell the story. So, where do I be? why do I Yeah, would, would it be at um, Black History Month, I thought I would uh, talk about people with family roots in the Americas, because not only is it, you know, a major part of uh, American history, uh, you know, you're talking about people who are achieving even in today's times within the family. So I thought it would be great for Black History Month. Well, I tell you what, I am so pleased that you have called on, upon me and so honored that you give me this opportunity to talk about the history of my family, the Quander family. Um, and um, I'm going to take a, a, a while to explain a lot of things because it is a very captivating and very enduring story, one that has spanned literally uh, centuries and, of course, now has expanded and spanned the millennium. Um, and... I am here in Washington, D.C., and our family has been in this area of Washington, D.C., and um, Virginia, uh, and Maryland uh, since the 1600s. So um, allow me to see. First and foremost, it's important to understand that the Quanda family history story and its related connections is not just a black or African-American history story, but rather it's an American history story. The Quanda family... Uh, does not claim to be the oldest black family in the original 13 colonies. and But unquestionably, we are one of the oldest such families, first noted in, in uh, Maryland and Virginia in the 1670s. Now, the name Quander or Quando, Q-U-A-N-D-E-R and Q-U-A-N-D-O, the name Quanda surname is found on printed lists of the Melungeon people who are present in the Maryland, Virginia geographical area in as far back as the 1670s, but the specific document of which the name was listed and the specific date and location of where the document was found is still unknown, although it's subject to research. But I thought as I was thinking about what I was going to do today as I talked to this great audience, I was wondering, I said, what's the best way to present? So I said, I, I tell my audience to Think of it because I'm going to move back and forth between Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. I'm going to move back and forth between various events, date, times, and locations. 
and I want it to be easy to follow, but since it's radio and not television with a video and slides, it may be a little difficult. So I thought I would tell everybody listening that when I talk, I will be focusing, and you might want to, you don't have to write it down, but make a note of it. I'll be talking about ancestry. I'll be talking about the Kwanda connection with George Washington and Mount Vernon Plantation. I will touch on military service. I will touch on Smithsonian exhibits featuring the Kwanda family, faith communities, enslavement, leadership, and then I will end with a reminder that the, that this is a, a African-American history. That's how I'm going to proceed. So as I go forward, keep those things in mind because I'm going to go back and forth and I'll stir all of this together. Hopefully we'll come out as some uh, coordinated, not nonsense, but sense. Okay. Now, we document our history from the first document is 1684, even though I mentioned 1670s, that's the list. But the documented history of the Quando Quander family dates from the last will and testament of a man named Henry Adams, who is a colonial legislator in Charles County, Maryland. And he migrated here from England in 1639. And under his will, he provided for the freedom of two of his four enslaved Africans. And two of those four, one was Henry Quando. Notice Henry Adams used Henry Quando. We don't think that was his name. We believe he had an African name. But he gave him his own given name of Henry. And Quando was spelled Q-U-A-N-D-O. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. And the lady he married named Margaret Pug. That was his wife. And they got their freedom and the will itemized certain personal items of personal property that went to them. And then Henry Margot, Margaret married. I say married because we don't know if they had a formal wedding. But they had at least four children of record. Henry II, Mary, Victoria, and Elizabeth. So they went about making an everyday life for themselves in Charles County, Maryland. And as part of that everyday life, uh, Henry was able to receive a tract of land in 1695 from a man named Ignatius Wheeler. He needed a tract of land, which was called a piece of it. It was called Wheeler's Folly to Henry Quando in a 99-year lease. Now, this particular tract of land is, piece of, is, a, is a small portion of a larger tract. The larger tract came from King Charles I of England in about 1632. And that was deeded to the Lord's Baltimore. We've all heard of the Lord's Baltimore. And then the Lord's Baltimore subdivided, and a piece of it, a large piece came to the Wheeler family, and a smaller piece from the Wheelers to the Quando family. And those who happened to be in the metropolitan Washington, D.C. area are familiar with Wheeler Road. That is the Wheeler family. <clears throat> now, coming back to the surname Quander, uh, today it's Q-U-A-N-D-E-R. But in the history, we, it's apparently a Fonte tribal name from Ghana, West Africa. Most probably Ghana is from that region. And the variations of the name are many, but it's all traced to a common root. So what we see with the people in Ghana, and we've found this out through associations through Howard University students and interacting with people from West Africa, and more particularly people from Ghana, even more particularly people from the Fonte tribal group in Ghana, the name there is often seen as Amkwando, and that's a A M K W A N D O H Q U in the Anglo language, in K W in uh, in the Fonte language, um, 
uh, the Akan languages there. It's the same pronunciation. So what we believe happened is the earliest forebear, when asked his name, didn't speak English, they didn't understand the Akan languages, replied, I'm Kwando. And that was easily heard as I am Kwando. And there the name was right there in the brackets with the Q-U, and not the am, but I am as to identification. And we understand through oral history that the O got dropped and became E-R around the census of 1800. So we've been Kwanders ever since. So we believe we are the direct descendants of that group of people. We've been there to Ghana. Several of them have been here to visit us here in the United States. So let's move around a little bit. Families here in Charles County, Maryland, that began to move up a little bit into Prince George's County. But in 1741, Henry Kwando sued, in one case in Charles County, uh, for debt that was owed to him as a result of a construction project that he completed. Yes, I did say construction. That shows entrepreneurship, ingenuity. Well, let's look a little deeper. The foreman of that jury was a man named John Hanson. Anybody here in the Maryland area who knows their history will also know that John Hanson was the first president of the United States right. under the Articles of Confederation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Nobody ever talks about those articles. Those yeah, well, sort of disappeared from history. Absolutely right. But John Hanson was the first president of the United States under the Articles of Confederation. And in 1741, he was the foreman of the Quando jury, Quando jury, and in 1781, he was the first president of the United States, eight years before George Washington. So that is quite an accomplishment. Now, the thing about that suit, I mentioned entrepreneurship. Winning the suit was important because it wasn't just winning a suit. It showed an entrepreneurial spirit, a self-determination about justice. And this is something that was an inspiration for us because our whole history, and I'm not going to go into other cases, our whole history is peppered with lawsuits, disputes over taxes, and various issues. And we won some and we lost some. And we lost some major ones, but we didn't lose at all because the, the legacy of the record of their fighting for their rights, seeking to be respected, is what engenders and inspires us today. So in losing on paper, they won in spirit and in, in value, and we, we treasure that. Now, let's talk about George Washington for a moment, because I'm going to visit him again. George Washington's attitude towards slavery changed when he was a child and a young man. It was just the way life was, didn't give it much thought. But what happened is when he was involved in the American Revolutionary War, he had a very uh, interactive uh, with those free blacks, who fought alongside the whites, and they demonstrated their bravery. And he came back from the war, chastened man, in the context of how the black men were and many of the stereotypes that had been heretofore passed down from generation to generation. He saw that simply that was not true. So he decided to try to get some of the other founding fathers like George Mason, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and others, to free their enslaved Africans, and they would not do so. So he made the decision under the terms of his will that he would manumit his enslaved upon his death, but he postponed that, uh, their ability to leave until Martha Washington died. Now, the problem with that, he was a great man, He was. Uh, I don't take anything from him for this, except I do have to hold him responsible. He, would, he was great, but he could have been greater 
<laughs> if he freed them then, rather than waiting until he died, no longer needed their service. But he elected to free them, so they did get freed. However, they could not leave until Martha died because we had different groups of people at Mount Vernon who were, nobody was married of this enslaved group, of course, because there were no legal marriages. But he didn't want to break up family, so... Some of those enslaved were rented. Some, The greatest number came when Martha Washington came with her dower. So he decided to wait until she died and to allow them to go. And she died in 1802. However, she elected to free them, not free them, I shouldn't say free, release them from servitude at Mount Vernon. In fact, in January 1st, 1801, she announced it uh, in uh, December, the month before the first anniversary of George Washington's death. She was going to free uh, free them from servitude, not servitude, but from work, and release them from the plantation January 1st, 1801. And among those who were freed and let go was Nancy Carter and her family members, and she soon thereafter married Charles Quander, a free black man introducing the name Quander to the Mount Vernon, Virginia side of the Potomac and the presence in that area. So the quantum relationship with Mount Vernon has continued and still continues. It's a very sustained connection. And there are, at, at Mount Vernon, you will see the certain names, uh, West Ford, uh, the Ford name, the uh, Carter name, and the Quanda name are all integral, integral and interrelated parts of the Mount Vernon history from that time frame. Although not absolutely proven, indications suggest that Bushrod Washington, George Washington's nephew, who inherited Mount Vernon, that he was the father of West Ford. And West Ford is definitely an ancestor of that entire branch of the Quanda family uh, from the Mount Vernon side, which essentially means, very simply, that George Washington's blood is flowing in the veins of the Quandas who came from that particular line. So that's very important to understand that connection. Every year we have a program at Mount Vernon called Tribute to Mount Vernon Ancestors. You don't have to be a, a descendant. It's a program open to the community, and we have this observation every year, late September, early October, and we recognize those who were enslaved there at Mount Vernon and the unsung who gave their very dedicated history. So now moving to the other side of the river in 1830, there was a major decision in a case called Quando v. Claggett. And beyond uh, this is a case of an enslaved man. Some records list him as Henry and others show him as Harry, carrying the name Quando, suing successfully for his freedom. So it goes to show an example of getting freedom by will. Now, beyond the case, the part that is so significant is beyond getting, winning the case is that his attorney was Francis Scott Key. And, of course, Francis Scott Key is the author of The Star-Spangled Banner. And the judge of that case was Judge Cranch, C-R-A-N-C-H, who was the nephew of President John Quincy Adams, excuse me, the, uh, the nephew of President John Adams and the first cousin of President John Quincy Adams. And interestingly and surprisingly, Francis Scott Key's brother-in-law was Chief Justice Roger Taney, who was the author of the awful Dred Scott decision, so this goes to show you how history is connected and interconnected back and forth, very interestingly. Now, continuing with these getting freedom by will and by other means, we have periodic registration of free Negroes 
and the registration of free Negroes for Fairfax County, and to a lesser as extent, the registrations in the District of Columbia, both document the sustained presence of some members of the Quanda family as free people of color. So that is showing up as free people of color where the Quanda, some of whom are beginning to emerge and be seen as gaining their freedom. And one of those people, but not of, of that particular book, one of those people that I talked about as a free person of color is the same Nancy Quander that I mentioned who married Charles. And she is, along with 10 men, and she's the only woman, observed in an article of the Alexandria Gazette of 1835, November 14th, attending to the grave of George Washington. And the article talks about the men doing all the landscaping and for the for the grave of George Washington, and they point out Nancy Quander, who had been freed by General Washington as doing cooking for the men. So here we have we have her in a recognized position, even though it was in a domestic capacity. Now people say, are the Quanders all related, and if so, how? Well, I'm not going to get into all the hows. I'm just going to say there are four, at least four branches of the Quander family: two from Maryland, two from Virginia. And it appears that the two that are from Virginia trace from the side from Maryland originally and eventually showed up on the Virginia side of the river. To complement that, uh, of the Potomac River, of course, to complement that, there are four Quander streets in the metropolitan Washington area. The one that most people know about more quickly is Quander Road in Alexandria, Fairfax County. Go down Route 1 which is Richmond Highway, and you come to Quanda Road in the Springbank section of the um, of the Fairfax County area, and that's where West Potomac Park High School is located on Quanda Road. But what people don't know is that the first Quanda Street was in Washington, D.C., about 1890, and it was there until World War II when they expanded the Navy Yard, and they knocked down Quanda and another street to expand the Navy Yard, so that disappeared. Well, in 2015, the District of Columbia retrieved that land back from the federal government, and now Quanda Street has been restored. Now, I'm talking to you today in the last of February 2021, so there's no street sign yet, but there are three buildings under active construction right there on Quanda Street, and the sign will go up in a month or two. Anybody coming from the Nationals Baseball Stadium going to the Metro, if you turn right instead of left, you walk past Quanda Street to get to the metro. So that's the second one. The third one is in uh, is in Prince William County, Quanda Street. And the fourth one is in Bowie, Maryland, Quanda's Promise. So back to the one in, uh, in Fairfax County, Quanda Road, that is where some of you might know if you're here familiar the Washington, D.C. area. That is where the Quanda Dairy Farm was for many, many years from uh, about the 1870s until 1964. Became an 88-acre dairy farm, and Charles Henry Quander was the dairy farmer who ran it. He died in 1915, but the dairy farm was in operation until 1964. Well, the significance of that land uh, is that it was part of the land that belonged to George Mason. And if you know anything about the founding fathers of our nation, George Mason was one of them. He did not sign uh the uh, any of the major documents because he didn't agree that they lacked a declaration of rights which later on became the bill of rights so but he was a major major uh, ancestor of our nation and uh, that land 
that the dairy farm was was a part of his original land. Now, since 1926, the Quanda family has been holding regular Quanda family reunions. And um, the, the Virginia Quandas were the ones who started it, and they would hold it alternately in Virginia and Pennsylvania. And their Maryland cousins, of which I am a component, we began having ours not until the 1970s. But now we we have regular routine family reunions. The Maryland ones periodic. The Virginia ones continue with their um, annual. And in 2010, 2010, uh, the Quanta family, the united group of the Maryland Virginia ones, we had our grand reunion together at uh, Mount Vernon, George Washington's Mount Vernon. And we were pleased that they, that they wanted us to come and hold our reunion. So like a homecoming, if you want. And... Um, we have continued to maintain a relationship with Mount Vernon. And in October 2016, Mount Vernon opened a major exhibit on slavery. It's called Lives Bound Together, Slavery at George Washington's Mount Vernon. And it recognized the 317 enslaved men, women, and children who were there on the day of George Washington's death. George Washington had more than 500 people in his enslavement over a lifetime, but on the day of death, there were 317. And they picked out 19 to feature in the exhibit as a representative of the entire group. And among those was was Nancy Carter Quander that I talked about. The exhibit also featured a cousin of ours, Gladys Quander Tansel, who for 35 years, 25 of which were as an interpreter guide. She worked at Mount Vernon as an only, first and only for a while, African-American interpreter guide. Now, that exhibit has been there since October uh, 2016. So if anybody wants to see it, it, it was not a permanent exhibit. but It stayed for five years. It will be five years. It's coming down in July 2021. So if you're interested, you better get there because it's not going to be there forever. <laughs> Why so, are they taking it down? Well, because they rotate. They rotate. Uh, it went there for two years, and now it's almost five years. So now it's coming wow. down and something else will go there. So this is how and this is why. So um, we have recently formed, well, reformed and restarted an organization dedicated to the descendants of the enslaved. We don't have a name yet, but uh, anybody who's interested, when I give my website, if they're interested in knowing more about the organization, it's not open to the public, but some of the activities might be eventually, but they'll be the descendants of the Mount Vernon enslaved. I'll give my website later and they'll be able to get it. So we have been having these reunions periodically off and on, and the uh, Maryland ones we uh, had, actually ours began earlier, um, but not as structured events. They were mostly church-related events. And the um, and the ones that the Maryland Quandas have had have been mostly in Maryland and in D.C. Now, in 1684, that was the date I mentioned about the will of Henry, Quando, Henry Adams freeing Henry Quando. So in 1984, to commemorate the 300th anniversary, we had a huge tricentennial celebration at Howard University here in Washington, D.C. And that event captured national and international attention. Citations from President Reagan, the United States Congress, governors, print media, um, visual media. It was really a grand event, featured in Ebony Magazine and newspapers here and overseas as well. And we had relatives, Quander relatives, coming here from all over the United States. And we even had some of our ancestrally 
family from Ghana who came and celebrated with us. And the Smithsonian came forth, and Dr. Bernice Johnson Rieger, who was retired, but she was head of the Oral History Project, uh, she worked with me and a couple of others, Sandra Ratley, who's a, who's a relative, and we began an oral history project calling Telling Stories, a collection of transcribed interviews of Kwanda family members. And by the time we finished those 41 interviews, 850-plus pages, they are placed in certain historic places like the Smithsonian, Howard University, Moreland, uh, Mormon uh, Church Research Library, the Washingtoniana Collection of the D.C. Public Library, and several others. So we have structured both the Virginia Quandas have a structured organization called the Quanda Family Reunion, and the Maryland Quandas have a structure called the Quandas United Incorporated. And we were functioning as two different organizations, but now we're working together under the umbrella of the Quanda Family Reunion. And then in 1985, I established the Quanda Historical and Educational Society, a 501c3 organization, to identify, preserve, document, and share the history of the Quanda family and its legacy, which we gladly share with others. But this is separate from having a reunion. This is an academic, intellectual, historical type organization. So that's very important. Now, the Quanda family has been featured three times in the Smithsonian. And the first one was after the revolution, everyday life in America, 1780 to 1800. And part of the Quanda family tree was there. That was there for 15 years in the Museum of African American History and Culture. And then we've been featured two times since then. But before you ask, no, we are not in the Museum of African American History and Culture. And people said, well, why not? I said, well, what about giving somebody else a chance? So how about that? We want to give somebody else a chance. But they've told us, oh, no, we haven't forgotten about you. We'll come back to you, and we'll have you there, and that'll be our fourth time. So right now, we, uh, at least I am, maybe some are, but I am quite content to uh, have been part of this for um, three times. So um, now got my wife and I, we went to Ghana in 1991, and I've been to Africa seven times, but I went to Ghana to meet with the ancestral family because I wanted to know where we came from and get to know some of them. And when we arrived, you would have thought the king and queen of some place was there. The, the press was there with flashing cameras and everything else. The police were there. I didn't know whether they were going to be arrested or what, but they were there to escort us. So we created quite a positive stir when we went there, and the stir continues. I hear from them periodically. Now, I have published four books, <coughs> and um, the fourth one, which just came out, it was just made available February 1st. The ink is not even dry. The book is the first published book on the history of the Quanda family, and the name of the book is The Quanders Since 1684, An Enduring African-American Legacy. And this is the book that I will tell you, it's been flying off the shelf and it hasn't even been a month yet. This is a, this is the last of February and it's only been available since the February 1st. And, um, the Quandas, um, since 1684, an enduring African American legacy. But also, Nellie Quander, uh, who is one of our relatives, she was the first national president called the first Supreme Basilisk of the Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority. She went to Howard University and was inducted into the sorority in 1910, became national, well, was local, became local president in 11, and then on to national president 
and stayed until 1919. So I wrote the book on her life, Nellie Quander, Alpha Kappa Alpha Pearls, the story of the woman who saved an international organization. Then I'm a member of the Omega Psi Psi fraternity, and I have a long legacy in that fraternity back to the 1930s. Not me, but my father and uncle. So I have 50-plus Omega-inspired years, tracing an Omega legacy to 1931. And the fourth book, my father was a juvenile diabetic, and for people who have a lot of health challenges, this book has been very popular. And it's called um, Quander Quality, the true... uh, story of a black trailblazing diabetic. A lot of people have come forth and like that because it's an inspiration of somebody who persevered. So this basically is a very good overview of the Quanda family history. Now what happens here is I've talked about faith communities. Maybe I didn't put too much emphasis on it, but the Maryland Quandas have a long history in Roman Catholicism. The Virginia Quandas have a long history in being Baptist and and, and um, Methodist. And, of course, people say, why is it two different religions on two different, just across the river? Well, let's remember now, Maryland was founded largely as a Catholic colony. Virginia was not. And they became largely under the influence of who was the enslaver. So Henry Adams on the Maryland side recited his Catholicism in his will, and that seems to have been the ancestral connection and not positive. George Washington was an Anglican, but uh, many of those on the Virginia side came under the influence of the Baptist Church and a lot of the proselytizing and missionaries, so that's how they gained that. Now, of course, we are particularly proud of our military service because the Quanda family is the only African-American family in the United States that has a history of four generals, four. No other African-American family has had that, and maybe no other family in America, we don't really know. But those African-American generals traced their legacy, too, because John Pearson Quanda, Civil War veteran, he fought valiantly in the Civil War, and that's Nellie Quanda's father. And uh, when the Grand Army of the Republic had their reunion here in 1915, he was selected, he was a corporal in the Civil War, he was selected to deliver a major address from the colored perspective, because we were colored Negroes in those days, 1915. Uh, from the color perspective, that was a Civil War veteran. We served in the Spanish-American War. We served in the American uh, First World War. And we had two Tuskegee Airmen, Charles Johnson Quander and Donald Victor, Victor Quander, both of whom were Tuskegee Airmen. And they, we're at this point where we have four generals now, three of those four generals are retired. I'll tell you who they are. Uh, General Leo Brooks Sr., he retired. General Leo Brooks Jr. And General Vincent K. Brooks. And currently, General Mark Quander. Now, a little bit about those. General Leo Brooks Jr. was the second commandant. If you know what a commandant is at West Point, three of the four of them went to West Point. The commandant is the number two person at West Point, and the commandant is in charge of all of the cadets. And General Leo Brooks, Jr. was the second African-American commandant. The first one was a General Gordon, I think, in the 1990s. And General Leo Brooks served from 2002 to 2004. And his younger brother, General Vincent Keith Brooks, you saw him every day. You don't know it, maybe, if you didn't know his name. He was Colonel Brooks at the time. But when we were having a skirmish in, in Kuwait 
and Iraq. And in that period of time, he is the one that gave the daily briefing. He is now retired four-star African-American four-star general, the eighth African-American four-star general. And all of them lead up to the current crescendo. General Mark Brooks, excuse me, General Mark Quander is the commandant designate, the 79th commandant uh, of West Point. He is designated. Will it take office in the position on May 1st. And interestingly, the three African-American African American commandants that we have had, two of the three are Quandas, because the General's Brooks' mother is the Quander. So General Mark Quander is the commandant designate, and he will assume that position um, coming up uh, very shortly on May 1st. So this basically is a quick overview because it could go on and on, and people who would be interested in me and and in the whole part about, well, how can I hear more? Where will I find this? Well, if you look on my web page and go very easily, I'm easily found, www.quanderquality.com. Quanderquality.com, all lowercase, one word, or you can email me at info at quanderquality.com, info at quanderquality.com. And there you will be able to, if you're interested, obtain a copy of any or all of the books, ask me questions, invite me to come and when COVID is over and sit and talk to your genealogical or historical group, wherever it might be. Hopefully, if you're going to get me to come to California, I won't have to walk but you bring me out there, but I'm available, <laughs> and I realize that this is a timed event today, so I moved along because I didn't want to talk too fast, but I wanted to make sure I got as much in as possible, and of course, subject to our host, uh, if there's time for questions, and I am just delighted to be included in this opportunity uh, to be able to talk to the nation, because this is Black History Month winding down, and I have been... Uh, in a whirlwind, if you want to call it, invited to speak to various groups this month. And this is my opportunity to sit in relaxation and, and, and speak to you by radio. I don't have to have on a tie and look all straight-laced like the retired judge that I am. I graduated, graduated from Howard University. <laughs> yeah, I had a couple questions before we end. Um, I'm hoping on your site, and I've always thought this, as I know the area – off Quandra Road, um, I'm hoping that the boundary lines will be included on your website of the family land there and in Maryland and D.C. I think that it would be, and even the Ford side, I always wondered that when I was down in January and other places, I was like, wow, where does the boundaries begin and end? Well, that's a very interesting question because the uh, – I won't call it a problem. I'll say the issue is the 88 acres that were part of the Quanda Road dairy farm were not contiguous acres. So it was a patch, uh, three or four acres here and three or four other people in, in between, and then another section and other people in between. So the problem is it's not a single track of land. So it, I have never seen it put together as you have expressed it, and I believe that the reason I haven't seen it is because it was non-contiguous. And the same thing is true in other spots. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting just um, for visual purposes. So in, when you're teaching the history, people can actually see, okay, this is where it was actually at. Um, 
and I say that because, you know, lands are acquired and many times um, in the past, not necessarily legally, but it would actually help people visualize, especially kids in school today, because when you're talking about an American history and black people, uh, they just assume everyone who uh, came here were African when Africans were actually already in America. Well, yes, what you're saying is absolutely true. And uh, while it hasn't been done in terms of us identifying various tracts of land, the truth is, when I talked about the tract of land that was that was received in 1695 um, in in on the border of Charles and Prince George's County, that is a mm-hmm. tract of land inside of a larger piece, and the part the Quanders owned a portion of the land right next to the Woodlawn Plantation Mansion. Uh, and that's another tract of land. So when you read the deed, it doesn't say Woodlawn Plantation. It, it says next to Woodlawn Plantation, but the land was part of it. So that's the second tract. So uh, that has never been done. That's a project, I'll say it that way, to identify those pieces, because even if they're in desperate locations, if they were put together, it could be a little chart to say this is where it was in 1695 and this is where it was in 1863, et cetera. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, another thing, uh, it's, it's said that many of the slaves or freed people lived around the water. So what was Marshall uh, Park? I guess that was a at one time – they say a um, amusement park, but also Fort Hunt Road. They said a lot of that area had to be filled in, and that's why you actually have a GW Parkway. It was marsh land. That's where slaves lived. Well, yes, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the Marshall, on the Marshall uh, Park, that's on the Maryland side. It was called Marshall Hall, and Marshall Park was right there on the Maryland side. But on the Virginia side, yes, a lot of that was marshy-type land. Uh, I don't know the full topography, but it's interesting to note that you mentioned that George Washington Memorial Parkway because Louis Quander, uh, who was an ancestor of Nellie Quander also, um, he was a logger by trade, and he is was engaged with the group. It wasn't done by a single person. He was engaged with the group or the team that cleared that pathway to make the pathway from Old Town Alexandria to Alexandria a more accessible pathway. And eventually, that same pathway, of course, Lewis had passed by then, I think, but he was involved in the clearing. The, the actual railroad and trolley that ran from Old Town down to Mount Vernon, he was involved in the clearing of that path. And that's the same marshy area that you're referring to. Some of that, another part of the team had to acclaim and reclaim that land for use. It's interesting. Those of us who are from the Washington area and that live near the water don't also realize that if you put a toe out there in the water, you're already in Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the river is Maryland. The, the, the <laughs> land of Virginia, the river is Maryland. And uh, that is absolutely correct. The Quantum family, of course, legacy of, is on both sides. And in Washington, D.C., we are an old and sustained family here in Washington, D.C., not the largest family, I would imagine, but our fingers and roots, although they extend everywhere, they are based here in in the metropolitan Washington, D.C. area and are still here in this area, of which I'm pleased to be a part. Awesome. This has been a lot of fun. Tell us your website again. The website is www.com quanderquality.com and the email is info 
at quantumquality.com. I invite questions. I invite book purchases. I invite invitations to speak at gatherings, all of that. Thank you. Thanks so much. And you can go to Amazon.com and find that book. And uh, I will be reading even more. Thanks so much for being with us. It's my pleasure indeed. Thank you. God bless. God bless you too.